the data doesn't do you any good if you cannot do that part. You're wasting your money, you're wasting your time. So it's really about our ability to drive change, lead change in a kind, compassionate way, but yet a clear way. Welcome to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast, where IT and digital leaders from around the world talk about their careers, their inspiration, and their vision for the future of digital business. I'm your host, David Wright. The world of digital business is evolving faster than ever, and I want this to be a place where digital business champions create a village to band together and help each other navigate the ever-changing terrain. Disruptive Innovators features conversations with CIOs and digital leaders from around the world, diving into their personal backstory, career, their current role, trends they've been seeing, and their vision for the future, personally, professionally, and otherwise. This podcast is made for people who are seeing how quickly the digital business landscape is evolving. Those who recognize that it takes a village of trusted advisors to navigate this ever-changing terrain. People who enjoy listening to high-level discussions surrounding what it means to be a leader, real-world examples of challenges faced, and industry-specific strategies leveraged to create exceptional business outcomes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net. Good morning, friends. David Wright here, and I am your host of the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. And this morning, I am lucky enough to be joined by my friend, Jason Ewing. Jason, it's a pleasure to have you on. Hey, good to be here. Thanks, David. Yeah, of course. So, Jason, for our listeners who may not know, can you tell everyone a little bit about your current role? Yeah, currently I'm the Chief Information Officer for Midland Health, based out of Midland, Texas. Started out as an interim role for them. They brought me in and then had some work that needs to be done and transformation efforts that need to happen, and they've asked me to stay on, so I did. Yeah, that's awesome, Jason. And I'm looking forward to this episode very much because I know that you've had experience with quite a few organizations leading that transformation effort. So we'll look forward to learning a little bit more about the work you're doing at Midland and the work that you've done in the past. To start out the episode, though, we like to ask, what's one piece of actionable advice you might look to leave our listeners with today? Yeah, I think probably the biggest thing is learning to lead change in healthcare with people. seems like there's enough technology out there, there's enough stuff to do. It's not always about the next implementation or the next thing that you accomplish. It's really about the people and how do we lead, not just, you know, as a CIO, I always have to take my CIO hat off and look at it as how do I lead the people in the organization? Because I touch every bit of the organization, every department, you name it, we touch it. So how do we work with people to lead change to get to the outcomes that we're really trying to get centered around improving quality and safety of care? So that to me is the biggest thing is how do we lead? That's great advice. And I mean, I think that perspective and that way of being as you're leading organizations is absolutely integral now more than ever in order to shepherd healthcare into the future. And as you look at these new solutions past the kind of organizational change management, that is what I hear when you say that, 
even the users themselves, right? How am I enrolling them and the caregivers? I mean, all of it. It's great advice. That really resonates with me. So Jason, let's talk a little bit about how you started out. So where did you start out and how did you get to be, you know, a CIO of all these different healthcare organizations? Yeah, good question. So I started out, my career first started in a critical access hospital, 25 bed hospital. I came in as a director. They had problems with their systems. I didn't know a thing about healthcare. I was mostly in the infrastructure side of the business and found a knack for trying to figure things out. And so I spent my time really diving in and learning department by department what the healthcare business does and how it works. And then being able to apply that to the technology to make things better and easier. So I started that out in a small critical access hospital. And then I went to Catholic Health Initiatives where I was over one of their sites. And then from there grew within the company and became one of the regional CIOs over the Western half of their United States for their hospitals. Participated with a group executive officer that had 17 CEOs and was on his leadership team out of Minneapolis. So I had a lot of fun, a lot of experiences, amazing mentors along the way, just constantly learning and pushing myself to figuring new things out and trying to navigate the very complex world that healthcare is. So then went from there to St. Luke's Health Systems out of Boise, Idaho, and had various roles there. Had about seven other nine hospitals for technology reported up through to me, the operations of IT, business applications, some other EMRs, all that stuff, and helped lead through their transformation to a single patient record. Uh, Taking them through all the ICD-10, HIPAA-5010 compliance stuff, all sorts of things that occurred during that period of time. Left there and went over to Missouri, where I was with St. Francis Health Systems, was their CIO there, as well as I was a vice president of strategy. That's where I really started dipping my toe pretty heavily in working strategic plans for the organization outside of IT, as well as getting involved with the operational departments. I had a few operational supply chain, food nutrition, medical records, those kind of things that started to report up through to me. So that really kind of helped me start to see things a whole lot differently and work within the organization from a business perspective in that lens. From there, I decided to go out on my own and start consulting. And at that point, I started doing interim CIO work in New York, California, Texas, in between there, assessing large health systems across the country and their IT departments, business colleges for nursing, you know, just various things. I did some work for NASA, which was kind of fascinating. And so I just learned to, over time, just never stopped learning and always started applying and actually doing it. And I think that's what's helped me, I guess, get to where I'm at today. And I still have a long ways to go. I'm always learning, but that's high level journey, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. The most successful leaders that I know are always maintaining that attitude of being a student of the world. And, you know, for me, it requires a degree of humility, which is such a profound thing to hold on to, you know, and for me, it's a practice, but the more I can be humble and stay a student and always be learning. Yeah, it leads to a lot of joy and a lot of fulfillment in my life. So I love that you brought that up. Yeah, it's a critical piece. I think that just if you understand the role of a CIO, it has its role and its capability. So does every other piece or employee or role inside of IT and outside of IT. Everybody's got a role. But the minute I start letting ego and my pride get in my way, thinking I'm better than other people, I take my eye off the ball 
And that's a critical piece to, for me at least, to trying to keep myself centered and focused because you're in a position of authority and you have to respect that. But that really can be set aside to really working with and respect the team members that you have and what they do. I think it goes a long ways. 100%. So Jason, what's one of the most important things that you've learned over the course of your life personally or professionally? And and what was life like before learning it and after learning it? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the best thing I think I've learned is that, and it comes from my brother that mentioned this. I didn't realize this for a while, but it's people plus process equals results and outcomes. And those results and outcomes can be anything. So what I learned is, is that if you put people first, their circumstances, your relationships with them, those types of things, and you get to know them, genuinely get to know people, that people will naturally begin to follow. If I put process in front of people, then they're objects and you miss the mark and you don't get the outcomes and results. So it's people first. It doesn't mean you don't hold people accountable. It doesn't mean that you, everybody gets to get away with whatever they want to do and everybody thinks this is the right way, but you got to collaborate. But if you really genuinely inside here really love those people and love the people you're working with and care about their circumstance and their situation, you're compassionate about that, I think that will follow with process, which will get you the outcomes and results that you're trying to get. You truly lead people. I think that's the one thing. Now, to answer your first part of your question is, what did I do differently beforehand that got me to learn that? And I think that there was a lot of struggle there. I always felt like I had to know all the answers to everything. As a leader, oh, you got to know the answers. For some reason, you got this title, so you obviously know something. And that's a mistake I made. And I think over the years, I've started to really learn and adapt to the fact that I don't know all the answers and I don't have to provide all the answers. And so I've learned that questions are sometimes the most powerful thing in a leadership role. So I think that's what I think if I was to nail it down, it's people plus process equals results and outcomes. Yeah. And that order of operations makes a lot of sense to me and has been true for me as well. And to take it a step further, you know, as we're working with organizations, that people, process, methodology, and then technology, that's the way we're looking at things. Because I think you said it before, the technology works. I mean, if you set up a resilient cloud solution, you're going to get five nines, right? But that people, process, methodology, all of that has to come first before the technology initiative is successful. So. You're absolutely right. You know, the key there though is, and my brother taught me this very well, and he's my younger brother, in fact, so older brothers are always supposed to know more, but they don't. But I think you just have to genuinely look inside yourself and say, do I love that person across from me? Do I care about Mm. them? Care about their circumstance? Do I know what's going on in their lives that gets them there to the day? You know, what did they go through over the weekend? Was it tough? That's the kind of stuff that you really have to look inside and truly and honestly answer that question for yourself. Love that, that empathy. So Jason, is there a time that sticks out in your mind that you were challenged or that you had a failed project or anything like that, that you took away a really valuable lesson from? Yeah, let me think about that. That's a great question. I find that my lessons that I learned come in the small little incremental ways. I'll give you an example of that. 
I spent a lot of time really kind of looking at myself and doing my own self-evaluation and was learning that I was moving down the road. I call it this, the grass and the sidewalk. When we're all walking on the grass and the sidewalk's right next to us, it's really easy for me to say, just get on the sidewalk. It makes sense. Just get there. And what I found myself doing was, is that I would just tell people to get there. Trust me, it's the right spot to be, get there. What I wasn't doing is I wasn't bringing people along the way to help them understand why we needed to get there. I was moving too fast and trying to get people to jump too quickly to that spot. So the sidewalk and grass, I guess, philosophy or belief system that I learned is I failed at learning how to get people onto the sidewalk because it's the right thing to do and to lead them there and not get them there so quickly. And so I think I failed at that, but I learned that valuable lesson. And so I don't know if you want to couch that as a big thing or if it's those small incremental things that really helped me learn from the things that I was making mistakes at. Yeah. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. So Jason, I want to get into a little bit more about your current role at Midland. But before we do, I like to ask our guests, favorite book either that you're reading now or all time? Yeah. So right now I'm reading the Harvard Business Review books on emotional intelligence. I really want those books. They have a whole series of them. And I've been working through one right now on mindfulness. And I have a word of the year that I use that's kind of my word of intentions. And this last year, my word was ponder, was being able to pause and really think and not be so reactive to stuff. And so mindfulness is really helpful because you're able to be innovative and really think outside of the box about things. Whereas if I just hurry and I don't ponder about things, I make rash decisions that are not always right. And so having good emotional intelligence, this year, my word is calm. And that is two aspects that make up calm is one is really listening with empathy. And then the second part to that is making sure I have enough data and facts to be able to make a decision instead of making quick decisions, be calm about it. And others around me will be calm. And so those are things that come from my readings that I'm learning and I go out and apply them and I work on them. So Harvard Business Reviews and the Emotional Intelligence book series is what I'm working through. Yeah, that's great stuff, Jason. And at, for me, at the end of the day, life in and of itself is all about love and human connection, right? That's what it boils down to for me in my personal life. But then how am I bringing that to my work life? And I think it starts with, that, like you were saying, how am I empathetically really looking to know my team members, my employees, what, finding out like what's going on in their lives? Because that is work-life balance that just life in general, life happens, right? So how, as a leader, am I working to understand that? And for me, the ability to show up and be an empathetic leader, to be someone who leads and doesn't manage, hinges on my mindfulness practice. Right. Because if I'm not taking care of myself, I'm not going to have anything in the tank to be of service to others. And I say practice because every morning I get to wake up and choose if I'm going to practice mindfulness. Right. Sometimes I'm going to put on my shoes and run out the door and forget to meditate or pray or whatever it might be. But that said, you also mentioned the pause button. 
So at any given moment, I can pause and take a breath and recenter. And that pause button is also crucial when, you know, I get that email that is like, what the heck? And I can just pause, take a breath. And I can even say, you know what? I don't have to even address this right now. I can take a beat. And like you said, in my experience, that allows me to be innovative in my response or that space between also talking with my sounding board, right? About their experience, mentors and that sort of thing. Often the right answer shows itself without me needing to figure it out all the time. You know? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think you use the right word. There is that connection with people. Uh, here at Midland, you know, one of the things, and it's not a huge organization, but it's big enough that I can, I meet with every new employee that comes on board in the department. I have a one-on-one -on -one half hour session with them. And all I do is get to know them, talk to them about their background, you know, where they've come from, what they've done, really get to know their skill sets. What do they dream about? What are they excited about coming to work with? And really getting to know them. And I find that when I do that, I'm able to make that connection with them. I round every week with one of the groups. I've got six groups and every week I meet with them for one hour and they don't have their leaders there. It's a time for me to connect with the teams and be able to spend some time with them. I send out about every 10 to 14 days a CIO update and I just literally go through my calendar and I look at all the things that I'm doing and I let them know what I've got going on. I think the communication piece is, is really important to help people tie what they do for a living to what I'm doing. IT people I found, they love to anticipate and they like to know what's going on and where it's going so they can navigate too. I rode in a uh, car one time with a network engineer. We were going to a hospital together and I was driving along. This is years ago and I'll never forget this. And he was in the military and in the Air Force. And I was spending some time, quality time in the car, getting to know this guy and what a super guy he was. And he shared with me, he goes, Jason, do you know what the whole purpose of the Air Force is? And I said, no, I don't. Tell me. And he goes, to make sure the bomb hits the target. That's it. He says, everybody's job in the Air Force, they have to be able to tie what they call, what's your bombs on target? What is it that you do that allows that bomb to hit the target? And that's resonated me for a long time to be able to connect with people to say, what is it you do that actually makes a difference to that patient's life? What's our bombs on target in the healthcare? And what are we doing every day? And if I can help people make that connection, make that experience happen, I'll share another quick story I had with a young man and I was working in a hospital and my medical records department came to me and said, Jason, you need some help in the release of information, they're printing off over 800 pages of a patient's record and they only need 14 of them. And then they have to scan that back in and they're pulling it out. First thing comes to our minds, right, is why don't you just use a PDF printer, right? And so I sat down with her and she goes, well, I don't have that on my computer, Jason. I said, well, let's just call the help desk. So we call the help desk and we make that phone call and I'm listening what's going on. We come to find out that, you know, the, my help desk person on the other line is going, oh, you're kidding me oh, this is going to cost hundreds of dollars and, you know, just going on and on and on making this big thing. Well, after about 10 minutes, I had had enough of that. And I was like, no, you know, so I called the young man down my office. I told him, I said, I want you to show up 10 o'clock in my office. And I was at administration and, you know, I'm sure he was shaking in his boots to come the next day to my office. <laughs> and so I had 
gone in and met with the manager in ICU and I said, hey, I've got a young man I want to have shadow you and that team because I don't think he quite gets what we're here about, how we make that connection. So gentleman came into my office and I walked him down to the ICU and had him meet with our ICU manager and handed him off. I says, in three hours, I want you to come back into my office when you're done. Three hours later, he comes back into my office and he's very somber and very humbled. And I said, tell me what went on, what happened? And he just started to cry. And he goes, Mr. Ewing, I was in the ICU and they have the glass windows and I was looked over and there was my high school coach sitting in the bed and his wife was next to him with his their hands next to her head and her elbows on her knees and just sobbing. And he said, it hit me. And I said, that is what we're here about. What you do on the help desk makes a big difference. Your attitude, your perspective, everything. And I said, I want you to go back to your department, go back to your shift, and I want you to spread the word. And from that time forth, David, that guy, every time we spoke about patient care and meetings, he raised his hand and make a comment. That guy got it. And I think that's what we're about. And that's when we talk about making connections. That's when we're talking about changing people's lives for the difference. That's the stuff that we have to be doing. So that very powerful experience. I couldn't have stripped I got chills literally as you were saying that. Wow. That's profound for sure. I'm really glad you shared that with us. So let's transition into your current role. So you're currently the CIO at Midland. What's your vision for IT and digital as it's derived from the overall mission of the organization? Yeah, it's a great question. I'm still learning a little bit about the organization. So it's formulating a bit more, but I will tell you a couple of things. First of all, I think, you know, we've got this term called digital health that I have a hard time with those words because I don't know what that really means. And so I think it's important to kind of define that. And so the way that I define that is I'm not talking about just the technology IT department, talking about healthcare in general here, is it starts with the people portions of it. It's new skills, new ways of doing things that the people are going to have to adapt to. Then we have the process side of things, which is, you know, our performance improvement departments have to look at not just how many steps a nurse takes now, but how does the technology integrate to automate some of that stuff to make things better? And then you have the technology itself. It's replacing a lot of old work. Look at uh, transcription services as a great example. That's really replaced by voice recognition. It has been for years. And so there's new things that are coming out from that. And then the final piece, the fourth corner, is around the data. And the data itself, you know, it's not like you have to go through charts anymore, but the data is presenting new stuff and it's telling us new insights that we hadn't seen before. So these four areas converging together is what I call digital health. And to your podcast title, it's disruptive. Every organization is struggling with the people side of that and how it integrates with data, process, and technology. And the processes are having, I mean, you look at every one of those boxes and you look at how it's trying to converge in everybody. It's almost like a lopsided egg sometimes. But as organizations try to figure that piece out and bringing that together, because it's not a department, it really is the convergence of everybody coming together. That's why leadership is so critical and so important through this. So when I look at that and apply that at Midland Health, I think through 
where are we at in all those areas as you put the patient at the center of care? And so those are the things that I'm envisioning right now. Underneath all of that hood on the technology side is what are we doing in IT to prepare ourselves better for that? Are we Good. advisors? Do we have our foundation built? Do we have our ITSM program humming like it needs to be? I'm building out right now with the IT department of highly reliable IT. There's highly reliable organizations, but there are five characteristics that center around a highly reliable IT. Do we have a fixation on failure? Do we mentally think this could break? What am I doing to prevent that? And enabling our teams to be able to freely say, yes, this is a problem. Let's do something about it. Leaders in IT, embracing that type of a culture. Do we have a fixation on asking the why? Why did this happen? What's happening here? Why are we doing this? If we don't do that, we just become robots doing things. And so there's all these characteristics of qualities of an IT department that really need to start to build a new culture. And that's what we're working on. We're working on ourselves. I think Michael Jordan said it best when asked, how do you stay so focused in a national championship game? You know, with all the hype and everything that's going on, it's really a question around poise. And he said, the thing I focus on is my fundamentals, how I drip, how I shoot, and my boxing outright. What are the things that I can focus on? And I think the same thing applies in my world is, can I get my teams focused on the right thing? So that's the vision for us. How do we focus on our engine and get it tuned? And then for myself within the organization, how do I help us work on these four quadrants or these four boxes of digital health and the convergence of that and working with leaders to do that? So that's kind of where I'm at with Midland Health and where we're trying to go and what we're trying to do there. Yeah, there was a lot there, Jason. Great stuff. First thing I would say is that's been our experience too with digital health, right? And I classically had relationships with and worked with lots of CIOs, right? Over the course of my career. In the past few years, I found myself meeting with more chief health information officers, chief medical information officers, operating officers for that exact reason that in order for me to properly advise an organization, I really need to understand all those different aspects of what's happening, their vision and their given lane, if you will. How am I bringing that all together in order to create a path forward? And then in regard to your latter point, for me, it's also about really focusing on the fundamentals. You know, How am I putting one foot in front of the other? How am I focused on delivering on the next right thing in excellence? Because at the end of the day, there is a myriad of things that are completely out of my control. And me worrying about them too much or focusing on them too much is a disservice to what I need to do now. And when I can keep it really simple like that, it really serves the people that I'm working with, my team members, myself. And it, for me, it's a better way to live too when I'm not so concerned about the outcome. Yes, I have a goal and I can have a vision, right? It's so crucial, of course, but I need to let go of that a little bit in order to really stay present in the here and now. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, one of the things we're doing right now is that aligns with this stuff is putting in a, a kind of a next generation or modern day governance 
And when I talk about that is really understanding the role that IT plays in the organization. And that is that we support those processes and capabilities because the technology automates that and collects that data. So when you think about that, it really starts to think that governance isn't just about projects. We have to look at governance as an operating committee now. And I'm going to give them one piece of the thing to govern, and that's IT. That doesn't mean that they don't govern other things in this digital health world. They've got to govern who owns their processes inside their organization, especially when you go across multiple facilities. It becomes disjointed. And so being able to bring an operating committees together where they can talk on the same platform, and all of a sudden IT, instead of doing status reporting, we're bringing forward data and information for them to have transparency amongst themselves. We've gone from 30, 40 projects in one of our nursing groups to where they're only working on about six or seven of them because there's so much stuff that hasn't been communicated to other people or they're trying to work through and decide on what they want to do. IT would have been out running around brokering stuff and we get out of that business and we get into the fulfillment work and we get into bringing forward new conversations that help bridge the lines in the operational side that hadn't been there before. So if you understand governance right for today, that is the hub for bringing this digital health together. And those are things we're on our starting up. Actually, this morning, our third group is kicked off. You know, we got two more groups to go, but it's starting to poise to be very helpful. And it manages the demand of IT to the capacity that we've got. You know, we can't do everything. Right. What about the biggest challenges Midland is facing or you're facing in your role as an organization at the moment? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge we're facing is, like I said earlier, is just change. Knowing how to adapt to the changing ways and how do we communicate that? How do we effectively focus on quality care and how do we communicate the ways in which we may have gaps that we need to make things better? And I think organizing sometimes ourselves in a way that helps us take ownership on things to drive things forward. I think those are some of the challenges that we do face and we're tackling those and we're working through those, but it takes a lot of collaboration and communication to do that. So that's the stuff I get excited about, right? Because who benefits from that? The patient does. And that's what's exciting. Yeah, hundred percent. And that's what it's all about, right? You mentioned that before, and that's one of the reasons we got into healthcare, right? That story you told midway through the episode, that's what it's all about. And I've said this a million times, probably on the podcast, but my mom is the president and CEO of a nonprofit behavioral health trauma-informed care organization out of New Jersey. And she was the one who taught me that it starts with impacting the life of one individual. And you know, when you can do that, it can affect generations of people to come and the lives of people in that sphere. And it's very important for me to focus on that when I'm helping healthcare organizations, or it's what I want to focus on when I'm helping healthcare organizations and empowering the caregivers to deliver that care without needing to worry about burdensome tasks that as a partner, I could help offload and automate, as you mentioned before. You're absolutely right there, David. And I think that what I have to do is help my IT folks understand that. That means that they've got to spend time rounding. What does the lab do? What did each department do? And if they can make those connections, it's huge. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And I love the rounding too. I love that you brought that up. Johnny Cordero from uh, Brook Army Medical Center brought that up on a panel at our, our last event. And 
I do some site visits here and there, but it's profound to be able to see what is going on in the ecosystem like firsthand, not only from a standpoint of kind of reinvigorating my why, like why I'm doing this, but also being able to firsthand see opportunities, right? To help improve a process or to see technology that's just sitting there and not being used, right? Or whatever it might be. So Jason, we were talking about some exciting stuff just a moment ago, and it reminded me to ask you, what about any innovative technologies? You mentioned actually a couple before, but innovative technologies that you're really excited about that will serve to support the business vision of Midland that are either working on right now or that are on the roadmap for the near future? Yeah, great question. So there's a whole slew of just foundational fundamental things that if I shared what those things are, people would say that's not innovative and that's okay because that's where the organization's at. They're working through some of those things. I will have to say that as we look going forward, we've really got to get ourselves centered around the right type of operational and accountable care type data and analytics for these community size organizations. How do we strategically place ourselves? Because we're not in a position where we've got a ton of money that we can invest and the risk is high that way. But we're also not so small that we can't make investments either. And so I think trying to strategically pull together the organization in how we're going to advance ourselves in our insights for our data component of digital health is really kind of the key there for us. And so I think that's an important investment that we've got in front of us that I'm working through. I'm trying to build plans around and strategies around that are going to help us make that improvements in the communities that we serve here. So, Yeah, crucial. And that is exciting. And that's one of the things that we're focused on too, right? I feel like a lot of healthcare organizations, there's been a number of flashy platforms that are kind of really sunk their teeth into the healthcare vertical over the past few years. And a hefty price tag associated with a lot of them, not just for the platforms themselves, but for the rollout of the platform and the upkeep of the platform and the integrator required to all of it. So one of the things we're saying to folks is, okay, if you don't need it for this functionality and patient access, because you just made this huge investment in the EHR, let's build a custom platform as a service, right? Where we can get the cloud providers to finance a lot of the build and we can choose what data we're ingesting and build the governance ourselves and yada, 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 and do so for a fraction of the cost that we would pay to one of these large behemoths. Yeah, there's a lot of approaches to that, David, and you're absolutely right. There's just different ways to skin the cat and different ways to do things. And I think here's where data and analytics kind of comes to me. And this is not new. Everybody's been working on this for a while. And there are flashy tools out there. Absolutely right. But at the end of the day, here's where it comes down to is, does the organization, comes back to people again, is does the organization, do we have the fortitude to sit down with a provider or with a clinician or with our billing office, wherever it might be, and articulate out a gap and be able to have that conversation to say, we're not doing so well here. The surgical instruments that you're using in your surgery pack is expensive, and you're only using one of the tools out of there for your knee replacement and your quality outcomes aren't the greatest against your peers. What do we need to do to work towards something that's a little more cost-effective and gets better outcomes for the patient? What are we doing differently? What do we need to do around that space? 
the data doesn't do you any good if you cannot do that part. You're wasting your money, you're wasting your time. So it's really about our ability to drive change, lead change in a kind, compassionate way, but yet a clear way. And if we can't do that, then we're wasting our money. We might as well just forget about it and just keep operating the way that we're operating and getting the results that we want to. And I think that's where the real challenge in healthcare is coming down to is it puts some strains on those relationships that are there. And that's hard because sometimes I've seen where decisions are made based on those relationships that aren't so good or aren't in the best interest there. And I've also seen the opposite where it's been fantastic to see that. But again, does our ego and our pride get in our way? Can we accept feedback like that, that, hey, I'm not doing so well here? Or we have a culture of that. So I think that's where I always keep coming back down to is the core of that challenge. It's a great point. And it's something that I don't even think about all the time. So I'm glad you brought it up. And it does get me thinking a little bit about the hierarchical relationship of the doctor and the patient. And that's more of a vast generalization in the United States healthcare system in general, that we probably don't have enough time to kind of walk down that path. But maybe on a future episode, get into that from my perspective. So we only have a few minutes left, Jason. I have two questions for you left. Any thoughts about where you see the healthcare industry going in general and or what do you think will be some of the biggest changes as time passes? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is going to be consumer expectation. And it's the consumer's expectation of healthcare, especially as the younger generations coming forward and having higher expectations than what may be being delivered today. I think that's going to be a big challenge we've got to bridge the gap on. And I think that is going to put some pressure on the models of care and the way that we deliver care and how we go about doing that. When I talk a little bit about that, physicians don't get compensated for administrative time. They get compensated for providing care and you know seeing that patient. And so I think that a lot of things in healthcare are going to have to change if we can restructure our financial model. That's a big thing to undertake and how are we incentivized and So I think those are big challenges that we've got ahead of us into the future. I think that we've got to be willing as a healthcare industry to be a little more agile. And when I say that is, is how are we focused on connecting the patient, especially those patients with chronic healthcare conditions? Maybe they're undiagnosed. They're very expensive conditions that people have and lives that are just turned upside down. And the speed by which care is delivered and gone about can make it difficult for many of those patients that have big disruptions in their lives every day. How do we connect the providers to those patients better? How do we give more immediate care instead of reactive care? I think we've got to work through some of those. Technology is a piece of that. But I'll be honest with you, I think the bigger load is how do we process and handle and manage that is really where the challenges I see in the future there. So, 100%. There's so many different cooks in the kitchen too. You got to enroll in that, right? From the payer side, the government. But in regard to what I hear, like consumerism, 100%. And I agree with everything that you said there. So final question, Jason, if you could go back five or 10 years in time, what advice would you give your younger self? That's a great question. I think there's two things I would advise myself on. And I mentioned earlier a couple of those things that I learned with the sidewalk and the grass. 
But I think the thing I would probably go back and tell myself is this. One is LPN, which is listen, pause, and nod. Okay? Just listen, just pause for a bit, and nod that you're thinking about it. I think that's one. The second thing, as I look back, is I wish I would have learned back then to look for the questions in the discussions. Instead of looking for the answers, look for the question. And I think I've learned that over the years. I'm still learning, but I've gotten better at that, is trying to figure out what question isn't being asked here. What's the question that needs to be said that we can have a discussion around to really kind of figure it out? For example, what's the problem we're trying to solve here? Or what seems to be the barriers? What's keeping us from moving from one step to the next? Those types of questions that start to invoke the right kinds of collaboration and conversation. That's the advice I would give myself back then. Love it. Jason, it was an absolute pleasure having you on this morning. Thank you so much for taking the time. You bet. It's been great to be here. Thanks, David. Yeah, and to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you all next week. Thank you for listening to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net.